You are now listening to Grinding True Crime Podcast with your host, Maddie Matt, Todd Fox, and Gabby Gap. Police have identified more victims and plan on more than just the four murder charges filed today. Confirm earlier reports of cannibalism. The building was a scene of ghoulish slaughter. A large kettle on the stove which held boiled body parts. Identified more victims and killed even more. Plan on more than just the four murder charges filed today. Had sex with some of his victims before he killed them and that he was also a necrophiliac. Hey, 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 welcome into another episode of the Grindy True Crime Podcast with your host, Maddie Matt, along with Gabby Gad. And today narrating will be Todd Fox. And we're here once again breaking down another episode. But before we get started, we want to let you guys know where you can find us. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram. Just type in Grinding True Crimes. And there you can follow our page, like our page, and leave a comment on our page. And we'll get back to you as soon as possible. If you want to just listen to us on your podcast stream, you can go to Podbean, Spotify, Anchor, iTunes, Pandora, Podvine. And for those listening to us outside of the U.S., you can continue to listen to us on Radio Public, Breaker, Pocket Cast, and Podchaser. Also, new announcement, we just been notified that we are on three new platforms. And those platforms are uh, iHeartRadio, Samsung Podcast, and Player FM. So now you can also reach us on those three new uh, platforms as well. Go to redbubble.com, type in Top Fox 80, and there you can get some merchandise courtesy of Grinding True Crime. And if you like what you hear and you want to leave a uh, donation to support what we do, you can always go to uh, Cash App and type in dollar sign Grinding True Crimes. Or you can go to PayPal and type in at Grinding True Crimes as well listener discretion is advised because we do get into details that may be graphic for certain audience so we do uh advise you that uh listener discretion is advised okay i think we got through all the meat and potatoes right top fox yeah just one you left out but it's just a five-star thing if you could give us a five-star we'd really appreciate it they don't need to do that they already did (laughs) a lot of our fans have so we really appreciate it Yes, they have. Thank you so much to all of our fans. And thank you for supporting us and sharing our page. We notice every comment and every share that you guys do. So we really appreciate all the support you guys have been uh, given to us. So thank you very much. All right. With all that being said, we're going to kick it over to Todd Fox as he breaks down his story for us today. Todd, you have the floor. Thank you, sir. Today's show is going to feature Paul Michael Stefani. And uh, he's better known as Yes, Stefani. Sounds familiar. Oh, it does. Okay. Um, that's the one, Stefani. Oh, that's who I was thinking of. <laughs> <laughs> hey, he ain't no hollaback girl, okay? <laughs> that's for sure. Is he? I'm kidding. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> now, if you've seen a picture of this guy, he, he's definitely, no one's holler, hollering back at him. So, oh, let's just say. We'll do tell, sir. All right. Well, let me get into it. Uh, <laughs> he's known for many things. He's he's known as the weepy uh, voiced killer, uh, the crybaby killer. <clears throat> so, yeah, he's got some names to him. 
Um, he was born September 8th, 1944. So September 8th, 1944 for all the, those playing along at home. Um, now, have you guys have ever played Dungeons and Dragons at all? I did once when I was a kid. I'm familiar with it, okay, especially me. watching Stranger Things. I'm a little familiar with it, even more so. Yeah, like oh, yeah. Our- I know it from Stranger Things, but I don't understand that game. Oh, okay. So it's like an RPG, which is a role playing game. And if you, you know, if you, if you, especially if you're online, you you do different journeys or or uh, missions with friends. You get to group together and you go out and you you mm-hmm. kill things, kill monsters to get certain things to better your group. Now mm-hmm. that doesn't have anything to do with the story, but I'm just using that as an example because when you kill a certain animal in the game, because it's a multiplayer game, there's players from all over the world. The bad guy usually respawns after a while, right? Mm-hmm. Like it won't like you don't kill that character and it's gone forever. It'll mm-hmm. respawn within a few It'll minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the reason why I bring that up is uh, Paul was the last of ten children born to his parents, so he's number ten. So basically. Dang. Yeah, so basically that whole long-winded Dungeons and Dragons thing was just to set up a, a cheesy joke. His mother's uterus was like the game of Dungeons and Dragons. So whenever a baby <laughs> popped out, another baby just respawned. So, oh. Dang it, Todd! I knew you were going somewhere with it. <laughs> you just had to give like, me a what minute. What to do with a crime? <laughs> you just had to give me a minute. You just did. We did. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so with that being said, let's let's start getting a little uh, serious. That was the corniest. <laughs> Uh, that's all I could think about when I, when I was like, damn, 10 kids, like, back-to-back like that? Come on. Hey, she wanted a hockey team. They like were she, busy. Yeah, they were born pregnant. No. They were born pregnant. <laughs> this man is on one. Uh, so, as we did in the last story and a couple stories before, um, killers have been born into big families. It's just, I don't know, that that's part of it, too, with all the other that's setups. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... And not only that, uh, this family was deeply religious. Now, again, being religious is there's nothing wrong with that. It could be like like anything. You, you drink too much, it, it could be a bad thing. Whether it's water, beer, whatever. Um, if you do something too much, it could it consume your life. It, you know, there's always a bad thing to good things, no matter what it is. You know, what I mean, if you do it too much, it could lead the wrong way, right? That's true. Now, again, <clears throat> being super religious is not. I'm not. I have nothing against it. Whatever. But uh, sometimes you could just take it a little too far. And maybe you can agree or disagree. And again, I hope I don't offend anybody. But I'm just saying, like, in the Catholic religion that his family was in, they were really, really deeply Catholic to where you like, and not deeply Catholic, but deeply involved in the church to where, say, for instance, like what happened to him, Paul, three years old, stealing a cookie from a cookie jar, they sent him to grown-up confession. Three years. Serious? Yeah. Um, there was there was praying all day, and again, there's nothing wrong with that. But when you're that young, maybe it's a little too much. When you're that, you know, you're you're telling them they're gonna die and go to a hellfire at a, at a you know, in brimstone. There's no future if you steal that cookie. If you if you cheat on your test and stuff like that, maybe that's gonna mm-hmm. leave a little mark on you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So the family was well, deeply. You couldn't possibly do anything right. That yeah, that that's part of it too. I mean, that's when you're you're held to just an imperfect standard, trying to be perfect, it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. So uh, his his uh, brothers and sisters were sub- subjected to the same thing, um, very 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 um, strict. Uh, so so 
after he was born three years into it when he's doing that confession to a um you know priest um his mom splits with his dad so yeah the dad quits the the relationship the mom is done and uh right away i mean look some women can't find another man with one kid i don't know what she what his mom was doing but uh within months we're not talking years months she's remarried to another guy good lord with all Wait, 10 kids with her with all 10 exactly, <laughs> exactly. ladies and gentlemen she's got it <laughs> she has she's got something good right there she's got she's the got good good as they say you said it john not me <laughs> <laughs> but uh <laughs> i mean it think about it i mean if you're another man i mean no, no offense to her or nothing but if you're that fertile it's like man i can get you a pregnant just sitting across the room from you i, I don't want no part of you if you don't want kids you know? very fertile. Very fertile. <laughs> yeah that though you have that many kids and your marriage don't work out it's like dang after 10 kids you guys couldn't work out anything right well, and with today's inflation, let's just say that happened today, that homeboy would be on the hook for like 200 grand a, a Bro, month. what? <laughs> oh, yeah. That child support would be crazy. Just give me the check. That's all. Don't even. Just, he's just working to feed the baby. That's it. I think I'd just be like, well, I need to purchase myself a revolver and uh, just shoot myself <laughs> in the head. Dang. But, but yeah, that's uh, that's basically what happened there. Um, but this guy, though, as quickly as she remarried, should have been a red flag anyway. A guy that's going to take on 10 stepkids and your, you know, whatever house bill is or whatever. Um, he's got to have some red flags, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> what do you think his red flags were? Um, let's say he was an alcoholic and a domestic abuser. What he said. You know what? <laughs> It's too early for that. God dang it. <laughs> that is the the one for every episode, you know? Gabby's like, that's what he said. <laughs> but uh, no, he, he, you got it half right. This guy wasn't a drinker. Um, but he was very verbal and very physically abusive. And But then he was the kind that would go dressed up to mass on Sunday and just be like the most upstanding guy. And he, he looked like a really good guy in the... Oh, the, the double life ones. Exactly. So um, he would he would do uh, verbal lashings out on the kids, berate him for a lot of stuff, uh, make fun of them, uh, tear them down, basically destroy any kind of confidence they had. And then also what he would do, because they live in a split-level home with all them damn kids, mm -hmm. um, he would get mad at them when they go up to their rooms for whatever they did, including Michael at a young age. Um or Paul, I'm sorry, Paul Michael Stefanik. He would throw them down the stairs. <gasps> what? Yeah, he would throw them down the stairs. And she stayed with them. Yeah. What wow. The hell? Yeah. These, okay, these... that's the worst. She's worse than him. A, a mother that allows that, no. Yeah. So as they were, as the you know years would kind of roll by, the kids did the first thing they could to get out of that house. They didn't want to take any of the abuse. So the mom was kind of alienated. Um, you know, because she put up with this stuff, like Gabby said, and um, he, they were like, you know what, screw it, we're not getting any help here. It's it's violent. A couple of them ran away, um, so they were just like, yeah, they, they they were getting out as soon as possible. And Paul was no different. Uh, he was one of the last ones to leave, being number ten, 
but um, he would leave uh, in the early 60s right out of high school. And he didn't just leave. He was like, to hell with them. I'm leaving this part of Minnesota. Because it doesn't specify what part of Minnesota they grew up in. It just says that he moved uh, 100 miles away uh, to St. Paul, Minnesota, which is a big part. Big, I think it's the first or second biggest city in uh, Minnesota. So he, he moved far away and distanced himself from his mother and his siblings for the most part. How old was he again? He was 18 at this point. 18. 18? Oh, okay. Yeah. So um, he started to get his life together. He got a few jobs, um, got a consistent job. And uh, in his mid-20s, he married a woman named Beverly. They had a daughter real quick. And uh, just like his parents, you know, he just touched the woman's breast and she became pregnant um and so, so um he's like i'm not sure this is how it was explained to me when i was younger i thought there was more birds and bees to this thing but now he, he got her pregnant really quick and um all seemed well for the first four or five years uh the relationship was going good but then no real details about what happened they suddenly had a divorce and <clears throat> also he was not allowed to see his child. So we don't know what that was from or the, the public records are destroyed from that time in that area as far as those are. So we, And he never really speculated what happened in that situation. So, And the wife didn't come out and say anything later either. So um, we just know that by 1977, he's pretty much on his own and uh, it takes a real toll on him. You know, he's not, he doesn't have no family. You know, he alienated them. His wife's estranged from him. He can't see his daughter. He hasn't seen his daughter in a few years. So, you know, he's 33 at this point. And he became real robotic. Just wake up, eat, go to work. You know, he's starting to bald. And so, like, he's not feeling good about himself. He's gaining weight. Um, he's Yeah, he starts going from, like, having a good job to remedial jobs, working temp jobs, getting fired, quitting, getting another job, laid off. It just becomes miserable. Dang. Dang. That's no bueno. Yep. <clears throat> and three years of this went by where he would indulge in trying to, you know, there's no Tinder back then. So Tinder would be perfect for this dude at the time. But Oh, yeah. <laughs> Any kind of dating app. Yeah, exactly. There's no <laughs> dating apps except the Lonely Hearts Club in the newspaper at this point. So... <laughs> So he's not he's not really doing anything. He, he he's not having no success with the women, and um, you know maybe he might get a date here and there, but nothing lasts. He doesn't really have too much of a personality, um, so he's just struggling. And it's beginning to be uh, the, the a new decade, 1980, and um, it's New Year's Eve. Still alone. Still alone. Three years into his lonely, just monotonous life. He's now 36 years old. Now, <clears throat> what's weird about this story is, again, we don't have a complete breakdown. We know he had some childhood trauma and stuff like that. Maybe one of the, the stairs, you know, being thrown down the stairs at a young age, one of those hundred times he was thrown down the stairs, messed with his head. Uh, we don't have any animal abuse or stuff like that, the normal kind of things. But it's just weird in this story, guys, how he just flips a switch. Yeah, just flipped a switch. Um, piling up. Yeah, yeah. Maybe he just, maybe he just like, like Gabby said, you know, it's piling up, and he just was like, you know what, I'm doing what I'm doing, regardless, whatever. Yeah, he had nothing to lose. 
yeah, yeah. So New Year's Eve, 1980, or New Year's Eve, uh, um, yeah, 1980, uh, we have a date, which is at Uh-oh. December 31st. So what happens when we have a date? Something terrible. Something terrible happens. Usually a death. Yep. So he was driving down the streets of St. Paul, Minnesota, trying to find a party that he can get involved in. He wasn't finding any luck at this time. Again, he's 36 years old. Most of those parties downtown, you need to have a date on your on your arm, you know, like to get in. You know, women get in free. You know, you just pay a cover charge. And it's very hard for a single man at that time to get into one of these places. So he's been striking out, but he happens to see a 20-year-old Wisconsin college student, Karen Potek. She had just got into an argument with her friends from her sorority house that they were, you know, in town having a, a New Year's party. And, you know, it's never good in these stories when a male or female leaves a, a party late at night by themselves due to an argument, a breakup, or whatever. Something oh, no. happens. So... Um, she left that party at that fateful night on New Year's Eve, 1980, walking down again. This is St. Paul, Minnesota in December. So you're talking below. Huh? It's freezing there. Yeah. You're talking probably in the teens at best, you know. And they're walking? And she's walking, yeah. And she's walking in a red uh, dress and, and like... Uh, you know, she's got like, uh, you know, she's shivering, you know, she's got like a jacket over her red dress, but keep in mind red, <clears throat> just keep in mind red. So she's walking in a red dress and, and, uh, Paul sees her, turns the car around, sees that she's by herself down a dark alley at that point. Ooh. And, um, he turns the car around and, and he offers her a ride home. He says, it's too cold to be out here for a woman of your age. I can take you home. This is how we do it in Minnesota. We're nice guys, blah, blah, blah. Gives her the spiel. Uh, the two drive off again. He's 36. She's 20. They're actually talking and everything else like that. He says, you know what? The fireworks are going to start soon. And I work down, I have, I've worked down by the warehouse industry, by the Mississippi river. And, uh, you know, it looks into St. Paul. It's really pretty. You know, it's a clear night tonight. We're going to see the fireworks. You know, I got nowhere to go. Would you join me? And I guess the way he worded it, for a guy who doesn't have much game, she bit it. She went right for it. Dang. Yeah. So he pulls up to the warehouse, which is now abandoned. It's one of the companies he used to work at. And she immediately sees that the river looks beautiful. You know, the kind of moonlight's shining off the river. Um, you know, looking into the city, it looks it looks it looks pretty. And so he's like, OK, you know, uh, or sh- she's like, OK, she gets out of the car. He then gets out real quick, goes by the back of the trunk of the car and pulls out a tire iron. Oh, yeah. Um, he goes he goes over to Karen and he says, I'm going to hit you. Get inside to the thing. So right now she's thinking rape. She's like, oh, my God, he's going to rape me. And. So he sees a hole in the fence. You know, there's a cut open fence. He forces her through. He goes in there. They go towards the middle part of the warehouse, towards the river area. There's some railroad tracks. And without her even knowing, he hits her over the back of the head with a tire iron. Oh, God. Yeah. And that's not enough. He drags her into the um, machine shop area by another set of railroad tracks. 
as she's unconscious and uh again this part's a little harder um to to uh get through but he proceeds to bash her over the head another dozen times with crowbar god why why crack cracking her skull in two different places basically oh. yeah um this guy gets in his car and drives off wait what? that's it he didn't do anything else nothing was stolen and he did not touch her sexually what yeah now here's the twist to the oh. whole thing so okay. you remember how super catholic this guy is Oh, yes. No. So he drives to a payphone and he pulls over because that feeling that got him to do what he did is now gone. So now he's in full Catholic. I've got to confess to this. Confess. Yeah. So here is the audio of his phone call in 1980 to the 911 operator. Yes, please. This is an emergency. Please send a squad to pierce on the road. He hangs up. Were you able to get hear that? Yes. He's crying. Yeah, he's crying and he's he has a weepy voice. He said basically hurry get down here to the warehouse on so-and-so uh she's there's a girl badly beaten uh get down here um you know and and when the operator asks him what's your name he just hangs up oh that's a red flag right there if i'm the operator yeah but here, here's the thing though matt and gabby how many times have we done stories and the, the 911 operator's like ah it's a prank call Oh, uh, no. I can remember at least two to three. Yeah, and so we had Johnsons in the in the nine one one booth, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't this, tell me the Johnson. <laughs> no, thankfully, thankfully, this this one's not a Johnson. Nor are the police. The police get the call, and they actually race over there, and uh, they they check it out. And right where he said the body was on the railroad tracks inside the warehouse, they found the body. Now here is the another twist to the story she survived what What? she survived taking 12 shots by a crowbar to the head including sinking half of her skull into her brain (gasps) dang she survived now obviously in the long run she doesn't remember anything so she was not able to testify not not able to remember how it started other than vague little memories he filled in all the stuff that happened later but she wound up living I, I think she's still alive to this day but she wound up living um, most of her life so far with severe brain damage so she lived but again it, you know certain functions she was not able to do memory loss and poor things struggled basically yeah, yeah. that's terrible that's sad but you had one Johnson on the uh, crew though I have to I have to let you know what one of the Johnsons said. Now, he, said. <laughs> he was reported, you know, again, you had good cops that got down there, but there's always one in every crew, even in Minnesota. And uh, <laughs> the Johnson, they, the, the media was like, hey, let's go interview that cop over there with a cowboy hat. 
and uh, you know the oversized belt buckle. They went over to him and they said, "They said, officer, <clears throat> what happened here?" And he starts to explain about you know what happened in the you know the the, the person that they found there, and and um, you know again, she was bashed over the head. Had it's true, had he not made the phone call to nine one one, the temperatures probably would have killed her if her brain didn't. You know the. Mm-hmm. But uh, but again, you don't say that. So they asked him the question, and he's like, "Well, you know, the killer gave us a good good uh, lead on where the body was, or the attempted killer, whatever the murderer. I can't think right now. I'm thinking about New Year's. I'll throw some pretty fireworks over there. Oh boy, pretty fireworks. Oh, by the way, so if the killer had not done, I'm not not a killer, but you know, the attempted murder had not done that and called, she would not be alive. And the reporter's like, "Yeah, but." He did that to her. Yeah, boy, I have some pretty fireworks over there. What the heck? So, so he basically grateful and appreciative of him calling. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I mean I mean it's true in a sense, but you don't say it. You know what I mean? Exactly. You keep that hush hush. Exactly. So uh, yeah, the detectives uh, the detectives were pretty pissed on this one, um, but they could not figure out why. You know, it didn't fit the normal mold mold of, of assaults. You know, because usually, like Gabby uh, brought out and you brought out, like you know, you, you would rob the woman or or sexually sexually assault them or something. Yeah, and, and there that was nothing. No sense that you would pick someone up just to bash their head and then go cry about it later. And my yeah. thing is this. He was not getting any kind of luck when it came to women for years. You actually have someone who's 15 15 years younger than you actually warmed up to you, like Abby said, and followed you and pretty much seemed like she was going along with whatever he asked her. Like, hey, you know, let's go over here to this warehouse. And, you know, if he played his cards right, he probably could have. You know, who knows? Talked and talked her into dating him. Who knows? Mm-hmm. And you go and do something that stupid. Yep. What an idiot! It doesn't make any sense, right? No, I'm still lost. Yep. So it's 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 pretty weird on this one. So <clears throat> we move on now to another. You know, days turned into weeks. He's at home. He's expecting to get a knock on his door. He goes to work. He's expecting to get pulled out of work. He's thinking the cops are on this. They're going to find him, but it doesn't. And mm. uh, he's praying every day. He's going to mass. Um, he's trying to, you know, rid himself of this. And he's wondering, you know, instead of seeing a psychiatrist confessing to the police, um, he's not compl- confessing that he murdered someone to these priests. He's just confessing that he did something really terrible. So um, he's not really confessing all the way to get himself caught you know it's sort of just to satisfy his urges and satisfy his um you know satisfy himself to 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 uh feel better about himself basically Mm -hmm. um so with that being said like months go by and we're now june 3rd 1981 Mm. and paul was eating at a deli downtown it's a little bit warmer in june obviously in minnesota and uh he sees a young black girl by the name of Kimberly Compton. She's 18 years old. Kimberly Compton. Kimberly Compton, yeah. She moved in. She's new to the area, so she doesn't have too many friends. But, uh, you know, she's moved into the big city, and she wants to check things out. 
She's ready for the night on the town. She's wearing a red dress. Uh, High heels. Oh, red dress. Red dress. And, uh, mm. oh, go ahead. No, I'm thinking about it. Okay. He's getting triggered by a red dress. Yeah, and and so she's at the, it's sort of like a deli slash bar, and, and uh, you know, he, he goes up there and he offers to buy her lunch, you know, or, you know, or, mm -hmm. or dinner, whatever it is. And he buys her a sandwich and a drink and everything. She explains she's new to town. And he's like, well, you know what? Now, I've lived in this city for years now. It's beautiful down here. There's a lot of places to go. It's the best time of year. Can I show you around? Uh, there's a shopping area. I could buy you something. And, you know, unfortunately for her, she's young. She's naive. She's attractive. And she bought what he was selling. And she went with him. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So again, you know, he he takes her to this area that it, again is pretty in the daytime, um, even though it's sort of like an industrial type area. He takes her down to where these shops are, and it's like right on the shores of the you know the river, and it looks really nice. It's got a nice view, and uh, you know he he everything is setting up. She's buying it. They get out of the car, and before he you know before he exits the car, as she gets out on one side, he reaches behind the seat of his car his driver's seat, side seat and he pulls out an ice pick Ugh. and um, he starts to walk with her and they sit down near a very scenic part of that area and um, before they can even get comfortable or she can get comfortable he begins to stab her Oh, and not just one time not just five times um, he stabs her 61 times. Oh, my God. Yeah. Dang. And then he takes off her shoes and her shoelaces, and he takes her shoelaces and then proceeds to strangle her. Now, I'm not a doctor or nothing, but I think after you're stabbed about 61 times with an ice pick, you're not exactly alive. So. Probably not. Yeah. And the other thing to think about here is, <clears throat> I don't, I mean... If you try to swing a bat, like a baseball bat, just in a batting cage or just to practice, sometimes you can't swing it more than 10 times, like, repeatedly. You know what I mean? Like, just keep the same swing going. But he's doing that 61 times, and this is something where you're stabbing into a body, then you're having to pull back and push in. And I know I'm getting graphic with it, but that's hard to do. And that's going to take a lot of energy, a lot of hate, a lot of adrenaline. So, whatever, oh, good. I'm saying a lot of anger. Yeah. So, like, how do you maintain that? And then it's there for so, you know, for that period of time, including the strangulation. And then you just stop. Like, like whatever came over him, just it, it leaves him. He got a demon. He's that's got, what he got. Yeah, he's got something in him. I mean, that's that's what he would claim later. So that's a, that's a good pick, uh, put up right there. Um, but with the adrenaline gone, you know, he, um, he just, he, he just, he stopped and, and, and he, and he, uh, he was like, you know what? I, I, I left the body, you know, he puts the body like in a, you know, he didn't try to hide it. He just pushes her a little bit off the path. He gets in his car and he drives away again, but as they, the police would find her body just 30 minutes later because three young kids that were on their bikes found poor Compton's body just mangled in, in the corner. They called the police. The police got down there, and while the police were investigating, the St. Paul dispatcher got this phone call. 
Mr. Compton. I couldn't help it. Don't know why I had this tavern. I am so upset about it. I keep getting drunk every dream. I can't believe I did a big dream. I can't think of being locked up. If I get locked up, I'd kill myself. I'd rather kill myself to get locked up. I'll try not to kill anybody else. So he basically says, I'll try not to kill anybody else. I get drunk every day. I'm trying to stop what I'm doing, but I can't. What mm. the hell? Yeah. This kind of reminds me of the Riddler from Batman, that one that just came out. Like, just creepy, man. This guy is creepy. He's very creepy. And um, very random. So at this point, <clears throat> the police actually do some some digging a bit. Because the way that poor Compton was killed, they said this could not have been this dude's first killing. Mm-hmm. And they looked back on just a few months later and they talked to Detective Johnson. And uh, Detective Johnson was like, yeah, we had something like this, too. Some guy called up really weird, had a funny voice. <laughs> and, you know, like we just like laughed it off or whatever. And then they're like, he, he helped save that girl. And they're like, saved? And they're like, oh, my God. Okay, just send us your case file. And they sent the case file, and they're like, you know what? This is the same dude. They played the audio, and it was the same dude. So now you you definitely got, if you can't call him a serial killer because the first one survived, you you have a serial attacker, if you want to say that. So mm-hmm. yeah, the police were like, okay. And it's St. Paul, Minnesota, so you only have like one or two at the time, you know, Johnsons. For the rest, you know, you had pretty good police force out there that they actually acted quick. They're like, okay, we got to put something together. We got, we're gonna we're gonna work together. So this isn't your normal Johnsons where it's like, oh, seven more people need to die before we, you know, think about doing anything. So well, good about damn time. Yeah, right. <laughs> this is not our normal type of case. Really? <laughs> yeah. Okay, this- is being triggered by a red dress either this is reminding him of his slut mother who put up with all the abuse for her kids and didn't do anything about it and she might have been wearing a red dress and he has that anger and that hate that just suddenly gets into him and he loses it or it has to do with the wife who abandoned him and wouldn't allow him to see his child wow you see those are great guesses and you know what like those are better than what I thought but the only problem with that red dress theory is we don't have a definitive answer on it even to this day. But it Damn. will but it will keep playing. So I'm telling you, Gabby, if you're playing along at home, you know how they play like uh what, what's that show with Steve Harvey, the um, Family Feud? Family Feud. That would get the most points. <laughs> Those two answers <laughs> that he just did. What she said. Yeah, what she said, <laughs> exactly. You tell us we're disrespectful. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So, I mean, but those are great theories. I'm telling you. I mean, one of those two has to be it, you know, know, as you'll see as we move on. But uh, so in the coming days, the police actually did a really good thing. They would um, post the 911 calls on the news and they were trying to see if anyone recognized his his voice. They were trying to see if um, if if, you know. If, the, if someone it would spark a clue or bring him out to actually start calling again, well, it did because the, the news station got this call. Fire emergency. Please don't talk to this I'm sorry, I killed that girl. I stabbed her 40 times. Kimberly Compton, 
Now the last part you couldn't, um, you couldn't really, um, you know, decipher. All I heard was, oh, no, no, no. He sounded like Paul Bear. About the same girl. Yeah, he was talking about Kimberly Compton, and then he he issued a warning. He said in there because I have the 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 dialogue right here, but on he said if anyone with a red shirt dies, it's on me. So mm. he's calling it out already. You know, you have two mm. victims with red red dresses and now he clearly says hey it's red is the color it probably was a crip <laughs> stupid <laughs> yeah a balding white guy 36 yeah he's a crip yeah <laughs> i mean she was from compton he's throwing oh my God. oh my bad. that was her last name <laughs> my bad oh my god Get out of the hood. You're fired. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, the real talk, though, he did sound like Paul Bear. You know, he did. Exactly. I know. I was waiting for him to say, Undertaker! Undertaker! My Undertaker! Dude, he does sound like it now that you said that. Holy crap. He could, he could, they, you know, I'm surprised they didn't uh, arrest Paul Bear. <laughs> Remember that guy I showed you? Yes. The rest of the guy. Tell him just like the guy. Why did he talk like that? It was so annoying. I don't know. I guess trying to downplay what he did to, like, you know, show fake tears, fake emotions. Yep. Ooh. I'm talking about, oh, you're talking about I'm Paul Bear. I'm talking about this dude. <laughs> I'm like for the script, Gabby. He wanted to be Undertaker's father, be dramatic. <laughs> for those who don't know what we're talking about, just look up Paul Bearer, Undertaker. You'll 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 know what we're talking about. And yeah, we're not joking about any victim. We're joking about his uh, uh, the way he, he talks. talks. Yeah, he was a wrestler's um, manager, and he sounded mm-hmm. just like this guy in the 911 call, just like. So the police were able to trace that phone call, but again, in 80s technology, they couldn't get there fast enough. He was long gone. It was from a I was just going to ask that. How come they didn't trace it? They traced it then, but it was just way too late. Okay. But the heat was on now, and uh, for whatever reason, the fear of being locked up in his strong Catholic faith, he stayed unassuming in his life of, you know, temporary jobs, you know, eating frozen pizza, um, you know, and generally just going to and from work um living in his dingy apartment so he actually was able to control his rage and feelings for a while um but uh you know after a while something took over him and uh he was driving by on july 21st 1982 a um kathleen greening's apartment which was close to his apartment and um he saw her taking some groceries into her house, mm. into her apartment, and these feelings and this this way of thinking came over him again. And he got out of his car, followed her to into her apartment. He snuck up from behind her and put his hand around her mouth and then began to forcibly force her to the bathroom. 
<clears throat> now, as he did, he slammed the door, pushed her face into the tiled ground, turned on the water of the bathtub, and you know was was holding her down. She was trying to scream. He was muffling her sound. And then, out of nowhere, he takes her with force because she's about 130 pounds at this time. He's a bigger guy. Picks yeah. her up in the up in the air and slams her into the bathtub itself, face down. Oh. And he begins to hold her face and press it with with force into the bottom of the bathtub. And we're talking inches of water at this time. And he drowns her in about maybe four to five inches of water. Damn. Yeah. And uh, real anger. Yes. Severe anger. And uh, Gabby, can you guess what she was wearing? Red. A red shirt. Exactly. She was wearing red again. And that's what triggered her. I don't know if he had the bull mentality. You know how they see red. But he went right after her and she paid the price for wearing red at that particular time. Um, I see blood. Yeah. And uh, But this time, he would not call 911. And he just left. And he was not seen by anybody. <clears throat> so... Uh, when her body was found later on that day, um, the police didn't know automatically attribute the murder to him because, again, you know, he used an ice pick, he used a tire iron, he called the police. This one, he did none of that. This was completely random, completely just off the cuff, different. So, this turns into a cold case right away. They cannot find, <clears throat> you know, or get any leads on this. Somebody did that to her, or did they assume she fell over and drowned? Uh, no, they, they saw the signs of a struggle. Okay. Yeah, and they, they found blood, you know, prior, I guess, from him lifting her up and slamming her into slamming the Slamming her, yeah. Yeah, there was blood on the floor, so they figured, yeah, and she was forced down. She, uh, I guess, there there's, you know, some graphic stuff as far as, like, you know, she's trying to pull herself up, and she's breaking nails, her own nails, you know, uh, trying to, to, to scratch her claw, the, the walls to get up. Yeah. She can't because yeah. he's so strong. Yeah. My thing is, if the detectives, I'm not saying they didn't do a good job, put two and two together, she's has read, the other victim had read, the other victim had read. The phone call. The, you know, I would have assumed, like, okay, she has a red sh shirt or dress on, and all the other victims had read. It's got to be the same person. Yeah, because he said if they're, they're wearing red, they're on me. So mm -hmm. they should have automatically known that's one of his. Yeah. But unfortunately, they didn't tie that together, guys. Yeah. So we fast forward just a few weeks later. It's August 5th, 1982. And um, <clears throat> he met a woman, Barbara Simpson. Simmons. Simmons. Sorry. Barbara Simmons. Um, 40 years old. Uh, they were at the bar. Oh. She starts to get a little, you know, uh, giggly and they're having good conversations. He's having a good conversation with her. He asked her to go out for a walk with him. And, um, you know, it's close to that river area again. It's one of those nice bars in the downtown area. And uh, credit to her, though, Barbara Simmons, uh, she goes to the bartender, which was a friend of hers, and she says, hey, just letting you know, I'm going out with that guy right there. We're going to go uh, take a walk. Um, you know, just if anything happens, you know, she, you know, she jokingly says, if anything happens, you know who I'm with. And she's like, and he's like, okay, yeah, I, I've seen the guy before. Smart. 
<clears throat> so uh, he gets a good look at the guy. He knows who it is. You know, uh, Paul's been in there a few times himself. Um, but unfortunately, what she did right there would not save her life. It would help things in the future, but it would not uh, save her life as the two would go for a walk. And um, this part's, again, I, I I really can't get how this one happened or, or how it would happen or how painful it could be. I, I just can't imagine. But they're walking and assumingly, you know, everything's fine. And then at a fit of a rage or just a snap of a finger, he pulls a screwdriver from his pocket out and starts stabbing Barbara. Ugh. A screwdriver, guys. Dang. That's hard to penetrate the skin. That's hard to... Exactly. Yes. That's not a sharp point. But the thing is, I mean, like, so let's just say you get a lucky shot in and you get the neck. You get the jugular. Okay, you, you might be able to kill someone pretty fast. But she is stabbed over a hundred times. Whoa. And we're not talking, like, you know, superficial wounds. We're talking he punctured her a hundred times. Oh, my God. Yes. I mean, that's hard to fathom how he got the rage, number one, to do that. And number two, like, how hard it must have been to inflict those. Exactly. Yeah. Those were, yeah, those were, I can't even imagine the pain, like you said. I'm just hoping it was a fast death for her. And I know it sounds bad, but it, I wouldn't, you know, I, I, I pray that she didn't die a slow death because I, I hope that. That would know, be so painful. Yes. Yeah. Because that's not an object to penetrate. You know, that's. It's not like he's slitting her throat or nothing. No. So. She's feeling every blow if she didn't die instantly. Yeah, or at least pass out. You know what I mean? Like, just pass out of the first couple just to, just so she didn't have to fill the rest of it. Yeah. But um, but she went missing. And um, sure enough, like 48 hours later, the police were at that bar. And, you know, after they found her body and they were interviewing the bartender, the bartender after he collected himself because that was her, her you know, his friend. You know, he's like, you know what? She told me about this guy. He started to do a they did a drawing of, of the perpetrator and he's like that's the guy that looks like him they actually did a good drawing it wasn't with crayons like the normal Johnson's <laughs> crayons <laughs> crayons and face paint but uh, he, um, they did a really good drawing and then he's like I'd like to see some IDs of, you know, or, or pictures of, of men that you know and fortunately he had been arrested for a minor infraction driving infraction years ago so he was in the system so when they brought this entire book of, you know, uh, mug shots to this bartender, he sat there for a couple hours looking through hundreds of pictures until, bam, he found Paul right right there. Dang. And uh, at this time, now they found him. He's 37 years at, at this time. And so now he's on the police radar. And uh, he's like, okay, <clears throat> um, they're, you know, they knew who this guy is now. Now, now they're going to start to try to get the evidence up because they just don't have enough evidence yet other than the red dresses they, they gotta get him to talk because again Barbara was wearing a red dress how about the act was she wearing one too yes she was wearing a red dress mm. so um while they're trying to to get enough evidence up to get a search warrant do all the things the police are doing there in 1982 two weeks later it wasn't fast enough um 19-year-old Denise Williams, a sex worker, would be wearing a red dress. 
no. He would um, pick her up from the streets, and they would go to his house. He would pay $100 to have sex with her. And, um, you know, everything went well you know, with a sex transaction, you know, like, like, and, and it was, you know, getting a little cold outside. So he, he offered to take her home. Now she started to go down the streets and, uh, you know, or they started to go down the streets, but then they started to go down darker streets, not down the main roads to the particular place where he picked her up in the first place. And, um, he gets to his spot. He's like, okay, I'm gonna drop you off right here. Now he, he all of a sudden has this feeling coming over him again where he wants to kill and the first thing he asked her before he strikes is where's my gas money and she's like gas money you offered to take me down here without warning he pulls out a screwdriver and he plunges it into her abdomen so we're talking maybe about what a four to five inch screwdriver like you know like uh, the metal part and then you got the handle mm-hmm. and he shoves that entire thing you need to do that yes I, I don't know Gabby I mean that's just that's insane and you're talking about okay you're sitting in your driver's seat yeah like how do you get the strength to go from your in that limited space your arm to have that force to penetrate that screwdriver into your stomach and from the account, it went all the way to the handle. Oh! So it went. So it went to the handle part where it starts. So he got the entire part of the screwdriver, the metal part, in her. So <clears throat> he pulls it out. That's painful as it is going in, and just as much as it is pulling out, and he punctures her again in her abdomen. Oh. Now, for, now. Fortunately for her, and it's not a sponsor, but Coca-Cola, there was a glass bottle empty on the bottom of his passenger side seat. He, he, she grabs it, and as his, as the screwdriver picture, remember, she's sitting in the, the passenger side seat, and she's got this screwdriver in her. As he's pulling it out, she reaches down because she tried to find the first thing. As he's trying to pull it out of her, she's twisting her body. You know, her insides must be burning at this point. Sure is. She takes the the, the Coca-Cola bottle and just smashes it over his forehead. Good for her. And it starts to, you know, his, his head kind of splits open. He starts bleeding. And then the handle or the, the you know, the top part of the bottle is all that's left of the, the glass bottle. Mm-hmm. But it's jagged. And now that's a weapon for her, and she's still in her hand. And she proceeds to just, as he pulled out the screwdriver, he's about ready to lunge again, and she just, with all her might, sticks him right below his eye, just misses putting the entire uh, thing in his uh, eye. So she gets him, like, right in the cheekbone, right in the face, and it's stuck uh, in He starts screaming like a little biatch, and he falls <laughs> out of the car. She tumbles on top of him, trying to beat him, because, you know, Obviously, she's got the adrenaline now. Mm-hmm. And um, as he starts to wake up out of, you know, his like sort of like being stunned, he gets on top of her and then he starts to rear back. She screams. Luckily, there's this guy that comes out of his apartment and he begins to get into a fist fight with Paul. Paul gets off of him because obviously 
you know, these, this guy's such a, you know what, that he can't fight a man. So mm -hmm. this guy is only like 18 years old and he comes out there. He saves Denise, pulls her away. Uh, Paul gets in his car and drives off. And then like, oh, he, yeah, he calls the ambulance. Denise is saved. So, you know, she has, she has to be in the hospital for a bit because she had some internal bleeding, but she lit, she lived. Okay. And so uh, our boy goes home to his apartment and uh, figures out really quick that band-aids aren't going to stop the massive bleeding to his head. And he proceeds to call 911. And he doesn't call it in his normal voice. He calls it crying. We don't have that audio, but he calls basically going, I can't stop bleeding. Someone beat me up. I need help. And so... <laughs> <laughs> Hell in a Cell on WrestleMania 21. Get your tickets now. Uh, <laughs> and so, like, uh, he makes that phone call, and right away, you know, because of the months of the, them, the police trying to catch this guy, the um, 911 operators have been trained to listen for a, a guy crying like this. And if they get one, then they call the police right away. And so, right away, the police go down there. Uh, the ambulance picks him up, but he realizes, boy, there's a lot of cops here for, you know, someone that got beaten up. And they're just playing the part like, oh, you've been beat up. Are you OK? And they start to scour. They, they start to realize, hey, there was a beating earlier. There's a guy that, you know, fit the description. There's a woman wearing a red dress. So the cops already know this is their dude. This is their guy. <laughs> and so they follow him to the to the hospital. He gets stitched up. And right away, as soon as that final stitch goes on his forehead and his eye, He's arrested right then and there. Good. Yeah, they take him down to the uh, police station. He's interrogated. They tell him to speak the way he was speaking on the phone. And then they play his voice back and they match it. <clears throat> and uh, they even get a hold of his, you know, because in this time they're investigating him. They got a hold of his, some, uh, a couple of his sisters who play the voice. And they say, boy, that's our, that's our little bitch brother that uh, when he cries, he sounds like that. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how that how that moment went, you know, after he got his last stitch and then he's like, oh, OK, thank you. And the next thing you know, the door opens and the cops come out. Son, we need to talk to you. Yeah, you know, I, I just wonder how that moment went. He probably felt like crying some more. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't me. It was Booker T. It's Booker T. <laughs> Stone cold. But... <laughs> Oh, he was stone cold. Oh, he was stone right. cold, all right. Yeah. He was stuck in a rock in a hard place. Yeah, because by this time now, you know, they've even got the wife's testimony saying that, you know, this is the same guy from the phone call. She, she, so the ex wife, you know, testified oh, she, against she him. Testified too? Yeah, she, she gave information. Then he had witnesses that, uh, from his apartments that finally spoke up. Uh, they had, uh, you know, uh, fingerprints from the bar that they were able to lift. Uh, fingerprints from the crime scenes that matched on a couple things. Uh, they found some stuff at his house. Did they, they ask Denise to uh, testify? Yeah, Denise would later testify. Uh, the bartender would testify. So um, he he was a uh, but but at the time <clears throat> he was only a, uh, what is it called? They could only get him for two murders, or, or, or for one murder and one assault. They couldn't get him for the for the other stuff. And I guess. Even with Denise's testimony, it wasn't going to be something that they were going to hang too many years on him. So they only got him for the two. 
and he was sentenced to 40 years in 1984. What? That's it? Just 40 years. In 1984? Yeah, so by that math, let's see, like 40 years at 36. Yeah, he's almost out. He would be... He would be 77 today, maybe around there, 78, and then, uh, you know. 2024. Yeah, yeah, he'd be out. Yeah, 2024, he'll be out. So he's still alive? No. Actually, he had some karma. What? Good. Yeah. Uh, 12 years later, uh, in 1997, he developed skin cancer at the age of 53. Mm. So he would become terminal at this point. Um. But as his life was ending, the great guy that he is and uh, his Catholic background, now again, nothing on Catholics, but this is what uh, an insane man was using. So he was using a good religion for his own way of feeling better about himself. Uh, he would confess to the other stuff fully, even though he had been quiet all those years, not taking credit for the other assaults. So those cases would then get solved, and it wasn't to, to just you know clear them for the families he was doing that to clear his conscience before he you know he met his maker basically um so the police were you know they they basically won't uh you know they didn't get nothing more on motive there was the only thing that could tie to him would be the red the um what is it called the the red dresses other than that they they had no other reasoning for his just out landish ways of just assaulting women and um it's sort of like another i mean i started this story talking about dungeons and dragons uh you remember that old tootsie roll pop commercial back in the day the Mr. Old- Alf, how many licks does it take to get to the center of the tootsie roll pop let's find out are you talking about that one continue a one a two a three a three and the see and that was a perfect commercial i mean you were the owl the whole time right there but but after that part in the commercial it says uh the world may never know and i think the world may never know the real reasonings behind paul stefanik because uh, in in what he did because he died on june 12 1998 june 12 yes wow so 1998, that uh, piece of crap died, but uh, he didn't finish confessing or telling uh, the real reasoning why. I guess he was getting close to that, and uh, he just kicked the bucket. So there you go. Why the hell, if he confessed to the other ones, why didn't he say why? I don't know. I guess he didn't have to tell the reason. As long as he confessed to, you know, the killing, he feels like I'm at peace with my maker, and he knows why, and no one else needs to know. He was scared of dying in prison, and I think he used that as a form of control to get perks at the end of his life, basically. Screw him. Yep. I'm glad he didn't get to get out. Yeah, although, Gabby, though, had he stuck to his being quiet, because I think his lawyer was the one that that told him don't confess to anything, he would have been out now, you know, probably on good behavior. He wouldn't have served the whole 40. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. That would never end. Yeah. Yeah, because whatever trauma... If that's a freaking trigger, he will forever be triggered. Yep. So, a dangerous psychopath that he was, at least he didn't get another chance at society. That would have been completely evil. I mean, he had five people that suffered, you know, and and, uh, 
three passed away. One had traumatic, you know, memories for the, you know, so far for the rest of her life, Denise. And then you have one that's just can't live a, a normal life because of what he did to her. So, yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. 40 years. That's bull crap. Yep. And just like last week's story about, um, you know, the, the one in Nebraska, um, about the natural born killers, he was born into a big family, but you know, none of his siblings went out and did the same kind of crap he did. Same thing with this one that we know of all his siblings wound up being outstanding people in the, you know, in the community or at least regular people in the community. But, uh, there's just one bad egg. Always. There's always one bad egg in a dozen. Yep. So that's okay. Paul, was it Stefanski? <laughs> Paul Michael Stefanik. Stefanik, there you go. Stefanik. Stefanik or Stefani? Stefanik. Did I say it wrong? Stefani, then. I think Stefani. I think. Stefani. Right. Actually, it was Paul Bearer. That was his name. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, his name was Paul. <laughs> I believe you're right, Matt. <laughs> what a little punk, man. No, oh, dude. I mean, another thing I want to know, too, is like, obviously, we'll never know, but he did mention, like I said earlier, that he would tell the priest in, in confession that he did something really wrong, you know, or really bad. But uh, I know he didn't get into murderous details or assaults or stuff like that. But, uh, I mean, at some point, I mean, if you're saying you did something really bad and you sound like that, as a priest, I'm not, I mean, I'm not a professional priest by no means. But if I were, I would think at some point you'd be like, okay, I know we're supposed to have a confidentiality thing here. But this guy seems a little off. Maybe I should call the police or at least alert them, you know? Agreed. So, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, because if it's something that you feel that could save a life, I would, you know. Do what Not I just do. that, but you hear all these things people tell you, and you carry that with you. True. How do you carry that your whole life, knowing something so serious about somebody? Yeah. Like, don't you feel guilt yourself? <laughs> I don't know. That's one of those hindsight ones, you know, being twenty twenty. I mean, it's you kind of wish someone would have stepped up because, again, these these killers. I mean, it seems like they always get breaks, or just people just tend not to put two and two together till it's too late yeah agreed and then there's nothing you can do about it then yeah and then you just look back like well if we would have did this then then this other ten other things wouldn't happen but then like you said it's too late can't do nothing about it too late yep well thank you Todd Fox for breaking down that what I gotta do it in his book well, thank you, Todd Fox, for breaking down the story of Paul Stefanski. Oh, Stefani Stefanski bear our same thing. So we're going to end it right now. <laughs> we're going to end the show on that note. Um, thank you, Todd, once again for breaking down that story. I really thought you were going to finish it off. With Should that I one. go and keep it going? <laughs> this has been the episode of Friday True Crimes. Before we go, we want to let you know where you can find us. Oh my you god. You can find us on Podbean, Spotify, Anchor, iTunes, Pandora, and Podvine. And for those listening to us outside of the U.S., 
You can continue to listen to us on Radio Public, Breaker, Pocket Cast, and Podchaser. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Paul Bear. You're welcome. And for those who... <laughs> <laughs> and also letting you guys know we're on Player FM, Samsung Podcast, and iHeartRadio. So, this has been another episode of the Grinding True Crime Podcast with your uh, host, Maddie Matt, and when she recovers, Gabby Gab, and Todd Fox. We're signing out. Peace. <laughs> Y'all come back to WrestleMania and watch Paul Bear and Undertaker take on Kane. <laughs>